All right, we're going to get into the Word today. We're in Exodus, been in Exodus for a while. So glad you're here. If this is your first time, I just want to say welcome you. Welcome to you. I'm glad you're here. You're here for a purpose and a reason God has brought you here, or maybe somebody you know dragged you here. Either way, it's the same thing in my book, all right? God has got you here. So about 4,000 years ago, there was a man named Abraham, and God met with him and had a heart-to-heart talk, if you will, and his wife Sarah, and he told him that I will make a promise to you, Abraham and Sarah, you don't have children, but I'm going to bless you, and I know you want children. I'm going to bless you, not with just a family that uh, maybe goes a couple generations. I'm going to bless you with a family that's going to last um, and for, for, forever, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. So Abraham eventually had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, and Jacob actually was named Israel. Israel is the name that God had given Jacob, and that's why we have uh, the nation Israel today, and that's why the Old Testament calls these people the Israelites, because they're from Jacob, whose name was given to be Israel. Now, when the book of Genesis closes, you have this family that was living in a place of famine, so they moved to Egypt, and there was about 70 of them that made the transition, all 12 sons, and they lived in Egypt, and Genesis closes, and there's this huge gap of time. So when you read the book of Genesis in the Bible, and then you turn to the next book, Exodus, what you just did is you just turned the page, and it was 400 years, roughly. Okay, That's like a big time gap where God is kind of silent. And that's important for us to understand because what God did in those 400 years is he took this family of 70 and he made them into a family of 2.5 million, roughly. And it was, I've, I've talked about this before when, when we started this journey, that that was like really, and I got all mathy on you and geeky on you because I used to be a math teacher for 16 years, and um, I, I showed you like this was, un, this was not normal growth. Their growth was, was supernatural, it really was. But God grew them to this huge amount of people, and they're living in Egypt, and they're not in charge in Egypt. The Egyptians are in charge. There's a king there. The, the title for king in Egypt is Pharaoh, and that's not his real name. It's just that was his title. And the Pharaoh basically made all of these people slaves, and they had to live by their rules. And that's important for us today because of what we're going to see, that these, this family, this two and a half million people family, uh, are living in Egypt, and they're in bondage, and they're... they're amidst a people that worship many gods. That's called polytheism. So they're living in a culture that's polytheistic, even though they know that they're supposed to only worship one God. One God. And that God is the God of Abraham. They always refer to it as the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, their forefathers. That's what they knew. They knew some things about God. They knew that God had provided for Abraham, he called them Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. They knew that, that, that God had given them circumcision, which, you know, we do that normally today, but that was a new thing. That was just them doing that, circumcision. Then there was the, the time where God wrestled with Jacob and, and spoke to him. And, and so there were these times that they knew about God, but the truth is, 400 years of growing up in a polytheistic culture, they probably knew more about Egyptian gods than they did the one true God. And the Egyptian gods are, are false gods, and 
Egyptian mythology, you can look it up and, and see all the different gods that they worshipped back then, but, but that's, what the, that's what they grew up in. And so God being silent for a long time, they're living in the midst of these people, it's polytheism, and by the way, they have no rights because they're slaves. Now God takes them from that way of life, from what they knew forever, to, to a new way of life. He redeemed them. He didn't, he didn't take them, uh, as, the, as the song goes, over the river and through the woods to grandmother's house. He took them through the river, over the Amalekites to Mount Sinai. And, and that's, that's where they're at now. That's where they're at on their journey. And this took about three months, if you remember last week, three months to get to this place called Mount Sinai. And they're, they're, they're going to be taught a new way of life. And first thing that God teaches them is how to worship him. If you were here last week, um, that, that message, ooh, got a little tweak there. Uh, that message on last week where God shows up on Mount Sinai. And there was lightning and thunder and smoke and fire and a loud trumpet. And, and God spoke the Ten Commandments. Like I said before, last week, I never knew that. I, you know, the movie said, you know, Moses came down. No, God actually spoke them for the first time. And so they learned to worship God with a holy fear, in awe. There was an awe of God, a reverence for God. And it was so overwhelming to them that they begged Moses, please, tell God he can't speak to us anymore. It's too much. It's, it's just too overwhelming. We need you to just relay the message. For us. And that's what God did. God spoke through Moses and he gave the law. So last week it was the, the awe on Mount Sinai, and this week it's the law from Mount Sinai. See what I did there? Aren't I so clever? The awe to the law. Because there needs to be laws for the people, there needs to be some moral laws and some civil laws and some ceremonial laws. Because God knows what they came from. That's why I gave that intro, to, to help you understand. What they're coming from is polytheism, and they're going to monotheism, which is what they should have had and probably had in many cases. But you can imagine with all those people, and God being silent for so long, that maybe they started worshiping some of those false gods of Egypt. But God wants to establish with them an order. Because now they're all by themselves. They're this huge nation in the wilderness at the base of, and that's the view from Mount Sinai today, that's really the, what it looks like from Mount Sinai, they're there and they're all by themselves and you can imagine what's going to happen. If you can't imagine what's going to happen, let me bring you back to English class, at least my English class when I was in high school just a few years ago, not too long ago. No, I know, many moons ago. We had to read a book called Lord of the Flies. Who read Lord of the Flies in English class? Oh yeah, a lot of us, okay. So, Lord of the Flies, if you never read it, and if you forgot about it, maybe you put it out of your mind because you saw the movie and it was scary. And, but what happened was, is these British schoolboys were, were deserted on an island. The plane crashed and they're deserted. And they had to establish some order, so they elected a leader. For a while there, everything was going great. But then, another leader emerged. And then what ends up happening in the end is they start fighting each other and killing each other. And then the rescue comes. They, they actually got rescued. And what happens at the end is they start, they break down. They're in tears because they realize 
what savages they've become. Boy, that's kind of like a lot of societies today, though, don't you? Don't you agree? Yeah, it's kind of sad. But that's the reality when there is no order, when there is no God. And so God knows this, and he's going to give these people the law. The law comes for many reasons. But one of the biggest reasons that we have the law, that God gave the law to the Israelites, is because his desire for his people is holiness. His desire is holiness. He says in Leviticus, be holy for I am holy. That's what God wants, not for the Israelites, but for all his people. That's what he wants for all of us today, is to be holy. And the very first rule, commandment number one of the Big Ten, annihilate polytheism. There will be no other gods but me. That's commandment number one. You shall have no other gods but me. Because I know what you've been experiencing. I know what kind of culture you've lived in. But there's only one God. It's me. My name is Yahweh. I am who I am. Don't worship any other gods. That's pretty much what he's starting off with. Now, the rest of the commandments, there's about 613 of them. It's only going to take us a couple hours to get through them. Okay? I know you get excited when I teach verse by verse, and I'm going to do it today. You're not too excited about that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right? I, I, I won't do that. Sometimes that joke gets old, but no, I don't know. Today, maybe not. This is my goal. We're doing an overview, okay? We're flying over, okay? Uh, and we're not going to go verse by verse, but we're going to jump into some verses. But my goal is that you would understand God's desire is holiness. The purpose of the law, God wants you to be holy. That's why he gave it. And I'm going to help you see that. Help you, I'm actually going to help you study the Bible, understand how to read the Bible and how to apply it to your life. But here's what the law does. The law draws the line in the sand. The law clearly defines what sin is. We need that. We need to know, this is wrong. Don't do this. This is right. This is good. Do this. We need to know that. That's what the law does. The law draws the line in the sand. Defines sin. The second thing it does is it shows you that sin will separate you from God. Last week, I showed you a couple situations where when, when a person realized that they were a sinner, they realized that God is holy, and they hid from God. Adam and Eve hid from God. Isaiah wanted to hide from God. All these people at Mount Sinai, they want to hide under a rock from God because that's what sin does. It separates us from God. And the third thing, the most important thing that, sin, that the law does is it points us to our need for a Savior. It points us to redemption, that, that the law actually doesn't leave us feeling guilty and lost and never, what do we do, we don't know what to do. No, the law actually points to a Savior. It points to Jesus. In fact, Paul explains this in the, the letter to Galatians. Sometimes you wake up early and you don't know what to do and your mind starts racing. That ever happened to anybody? That happens to me. A lot. Well, it happened this morning at 5 a.m., and I'm like, okay, my mind's going, going, and going, and I'm like, that. what I usually do is I pick something in the Bible to read, and I read it. So I read Galatians this morning, was thinking through it, because I, um, and, and I get to this, this verse here in, in, law, in verse 20, uh, chapter 3, verse 24, 
where it's talking about the law. Paul's explaining the law, the purpose of the law. And he says the, the law is our guardian. Now that's the translation that some Bibles have. Others have different translations. But I'll tell you the best one. The law is your personal tutor. You ever have to have a tutor for a class in college? Yeah, it's important, right? It helps you get through that. Well, that's what the law does. It's a guardian, a personal tutor, a schoolmaster until Christ came so that you can be justified by faith. Because the law will reveal to you, it will teach you what sin is and point you to Jesus. And when you realize what Jesus does, you go to Romans 8.1 and you read it and you say, wow, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Anytime that you feel condemned, judged, you go to Romans 8.1 and you realize, no, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I am no longer condemned. I am saved by his grace. Then Peter says in 1 Peter 1, he says, God has called you to be holy in all your conduct, and he cites Leviticus, be holy for I am holy. And that's the goal. I want you to know that God wants you to live holy lives. That's the purpose of the law, to be holy as God is holy. Can we pray for a minute? Father, I thank you that your word is wonderful, helpful. It teaches us. And Lord, your law, the Old Testament, the first five books of the Old Testament, they are beneficial to us today to help us see and make it clear to us what's right, what's wrong, and how we can honor you and live for you and be holy like you. So God, help us today to see that truth. Help us to apply it to our lives so that you will be pleased with us. In Jesus' name. And the church said? Amen. Amen. So Exodus 20, God speaks these Ten Commandments. Then Moses went up the mountain to get the other commandments. Uh, if, you read it, if you read in your Old Testament, anywhere in the Old Testament, you might read the word ordinances, statutes. That's referring to the law. In fact, Exodus 20 all the way through 23, Moses wrote down a bunch of these laws, ordinances, statutes, ceremonial laws are all in Leviticus. And I don't want you to get overwhelmed or confused, and I don't want to you know, lose any of you. So I'm going to keep it simple for you. You like it when I do that, right? I'm going to keep it simple, kind of help you understand it. Whenever you see the word law it mentioned in the Bible, it's in the Bible all over the place, whenever you see the word law, it's actually referring to the first five books of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Moses wrote all five of them. Some of us call it the Pentateuch, and the Jewish people call it the Torah. You ever wonder why they call it the Torah? Well, if you didn't, I'm going to tell you anyway. The reason why they call it the Torah is because that's literally the Hebrew word for law. So the Old Testament's written in Hebrew, and when you look at the Hebrew word for law, it's the word Torah. That's why they call it the Torah, because it's the law. In the law, the word Torah appears 211 times in the ESV uh, version of the Old Testament. So it's everywhere. It appears all the time. And in the New Testament, it appears... 152 times, but the New Testament's written in Greek, so the Greek word for law is nomos. Nomos, N-O-M-O-S. So anytime you read the word law in the Bible, that's referring back to Moses on Mount Sinai, 
getting the teachings, the ordinances, the rules, the commands, the statutes, whatever word you want to use, it's all referring to the same thing. You with me? All right, good. I didn't lose you. So we got the law from Mount Sinai, and the law is talked about all throughout the Bible. So it's clearly important. But there's one thing in the New Testament that we see when we read the New Testament with Jesus, that the law is definitively, this is what the New Testament points out, we are no longer under the law. We are no longer under the law. Now, don't dismiss it. Okay, don't just say, okay, okay, oh, great, great, I don't have to read the Old Testament now. Don't say that, all right? Don't, don't do that. Okay, don't go there. But here's the good news. We don't have to try to obey 613 commands like Judaism does today. They're still doing that. If you have someone that you know that is under the religion or following the religion of Judaism, they are trying to obey 613 commands. They are going to their rabbi and trying to understand how to obey them and it's passed on from teaching to teaching and so on and so forth, but we're not under that law. We're not under the law. In fact, a few places, keep going in Galatians there, Paul says that now that faith in Jesus Christ has come, we're not under that guardian. We're no longer under that guardian. The guardian is the law, the, the tutor. And Paul also tells the church in Colossae, he says this, the law was a shadow of things to come. The law was a shadow pointing to Christ. The substance is Christ. And what did Jesus say about the law? Did Jesus dismiss the law? No. He says in verse 17 of chapter 5 on his famous Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I don't abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. Jesus came to fulfill the law. In fact, Paul says in Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So it's Jesus Christ who has fulfilled the law for us. Could you live perfectly? I can't. Nobody can. But Jesus could. Jesus did. And he fulfilled the law. And when you read Hebrews, you read all about it as we'll get into it. But because Jesus fulfilled the law, the Bible then tells us, New Testament tells us in a couple places, that now we're under a new law, the law of Christ. And you've got to come back next week to hear that message, to know what it means to be under the law of Christ. You sounded so enthusiastic about it. coming back next week. Who's coming back next week? Come on, give me, show me. All right, all right, good, good. Glad to know. All right, so this question now arises, as I said, if you as a Christian are not under the law, does that mean then you are free to do whatever you want to do? No, you are absolutely not. In fact, that's called antinomianism. Fancy word, but break it down. Anti means no, nomo, law, no law. That's not what Paul taught. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what the Bible teaches us, that we would no longer have moral laws now. That can't be. We need those in our life. In fact, Paul anticipated this question. He knew that if, if I teach that we are no longer under the law, Christ has fulfilled the law, then Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? If we're saved by grace, if we're forgiven, do we get to just keep on sinning? No, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You wouldn't want to do that. So we have these moral laws that we still obey today, 
And by the way, they come from the New Testament, or excuse me, the Ten Commandments, and they're substantiated in the New Testament. Nine of the Ten Commandments are all in there, and I'll, I'll talk about that. I'll get into that next week. In fact, all of the commandments, Jesus says, are summed up in two commands, but that's next week. So we still have moral laws that are important, and we, when we look at the Old Testament commandments, the 613 that, that are there, we look at them and we realize they are specific to the nation of Israel in many ways. And the point is, is that God takes sin very serious. They had serious consequences for their actions in the Old Testament. Have you read through Exodus or Leviticus and seen some of the consequences? For example, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, believed in, followed what God taught them to do, and they had capital punishment. Capital punishment, I'll read to you just some of the verses, kind of giving you, pulling these to give you sort of a, an overview. Okay, Exodus 21, 17. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. Wow, that's harsh, right? Like, if you swear at your mom, like, it's, it's it, you're done? No, curse means to dishonor, if you dishonor. And, and you still may think, oh, that's pretty harsh. But then we'll go to, we'll go to the next uh, one, Exodus um, verse 18 of chapter, um, which I'm I jumping around a little bit here, chapter 22. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Someone involved in witchcraft. They pull out the Ouija board. They're out. That's, that's the command. Verse 19, whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. This is not referring to letting your dog sleep at the end of your bed, okay? <laughs> this is what you think it means. Which is gross, and we think that's this terrible, and we would think, yeah, yeah, but they, they deserve to die, okay? But dishonor, you know, so we're, we're going to have different opinions about this. But actually, what it does is what it teaches us is that it doesn't matter what your sin is, it separates you from God. Unfortunately, we live in that mindset many ways, and I've heard it many ways. It's like, I'm not a bad person. But have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen something? Like, we can just go through the Ten Commandments, and the little things we think, well, that's, but I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't done anything really bad, right? We compare ourselves to other people. But what does the law teach us? That it doesn't matter what the sin is, it deserves separation from God. And that's what God was establishing here, the seriousness of sin, and who are we to question God? Now, a little less harsh, Exodus 22.1, if you steal an ox or a sheep and you go and kill it or sell it off and you get caught, you have to repay five oxen for one ox, four sheep for one sheep. So there's some big-time requirements here for paying back. Then God talks about charity. How are you to treat one another? How do you take care of one another? Exodus 23, verse 10. When you plant your crops, six years you get to sow your land and gather the yield. But on the seventh year, you have to let your land rest. The poor of your people then can eat in that seventh year and, and, and take from there and the beasts of the field can eat, 
and you will do likewise with your vineyard and your olive orchard. I don't know what happens the other six years. Well, you probably fill in the blanks there, but, but you see the charity that God was establishing for all the people. Then in Exodus 23, 19, how are you going to take care of the house of God? How are you going to take care of the priests? The best of the first fruits of your ground you bring into the house of the Lord your God. The best of your first. That's the tithing principle. Give first to God, to the work of the Lord. I like that principle. It's important for pastors and and the house of the Lord to have people give the first fruits to the Lord. Now, the well-known command, because it's in the New Testament, Exodus 21, 23, if there's harm, if there is something, gets, somebody gets hurt, there's a principle, a command. You shall pay life for life, eye for eye, and tooth for tooth. You guys know it. Hand for hand, foot for foot, it goes on, stripe for stripe. Now I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but I want to point out to you that these laws are in three categories. Civil, moral, ceremonial. Those are the three categories of the law. And when I'm asked as a pastor, because I get asked this question every once in a while, pastor, I was reading about this commandment. Are we supposed to obey this commandment? It's in the Old Testament. And I really kind of have two questions. Whenever people approach me and ask me something, my first thought is, and maybe you are too, is um, why are you asking this question? Like, I want to know why. Like, what's your motivation? Like, what has happened in your life that you are now asking this question? Are you just curious, or is something going on? Like, that's kind of where I'm at, okay? And you probably are, too. And the second thing is, it really depends. It really depends what command it is and what it is. You have to study it to understand how to apply it to your life. And that's what I mean by how do you read the Bible and study it and understand it correctly? On our Wednesday night Bible study, we come together, we're, we're going through Romans right now, and I taught about this thing called exegesis. I put it up on the screen so you don't think I'm saying exegesis. I'm not saying that. I said exegesis. So up on the screen, exegesis is a word that means to lead out of. So when you read the Bible, you want to lead out of that and get the right meaning. Okay, so the first step in, in every, whenever you read your Bible is to observe what you're reading. And you ask the questions, who, what, where, when, why, how, and you just, you just attack the passage with questions. Why did he say that? Who, where, does that where else does it say that? You just ask questions. You observe. And then the second part is the part where people usually don't quite grasp, and that's interpretation. They think there's, sometimes you may think that when you read your Bible, there's only two parts to it. I observe it, and then I interpret it. Or really, I should say, most people observe it and then try to apply it. And let me just tell you, if you do that, you're missing two steps. So don't do that. Observe and then interpret. And what I mean by interpret is, interpret what the author was saying to who he wrote it to. In the Old Testament, when you read the commandments, for example, when you read this stuff I just read to you in Exodus, and you read that, You say, what did God, speaking for God, Moses, when he was writing to the people, who were the people? The Israelites. It was, the command was for the Israelites at that time. So interpret that. That's really important. Interpret that. 
understand what was being said to them because they lived in a different culture at a different time and what was going on there. Once you interpret that, then you should correlate it to other places in the Bible where it's mentioned. So when someone asks me, like, should I obey this command? My first question is, well, what did it mean to the Israelites? And then my second question is, where else is it in the Bible? Does the New Testament talk about it? Because Jesus addressed some of the commandments in the Bible. That famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addressed six of the Old Testament commandments. The one about murder, adultery, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and how to treat your enemies. All in the Sermon on the Mount, all in chapter 5. You read it for yourself. You'll see. He talked about it. And he expounded on it, if you will. He helped, he helped them apply it by understanding the interpretation of it. And then he went to an application. So let's do that. Matthew 5, verse 38. You've heard what it said. Jesus is saying this to all of the people listening. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You've all heard that before. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. So Jesus says, this is what it means. I say to you, don't resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, well, what's the principle? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you should what? Slap them back on the right cheek. But Jesus says, no, don't do that. Reminds me of this funny story when we had our two little kids. We were just, I was just sharing this story the other day. And, uh, you know, if you hold your, your, your hand up to the person's face and then you, you know, do that, but you don't really hit them, you know, it, it sounds like and it looks like it. Well, I was doing that to Ellie when she was probably, I don't know, six. And my son, Ethan, was three at the time. And he's watching this and we're all laughing as a family. And so he wants to try it on dad. But he didn't understand it was fake. It still hurts a little bit there. So yeah, so Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't, don't smack them back. Turn your other cheek to them. Verse 40, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, well, just give them your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, which, by the way, the Roman soldiers could force anyone to go one mile and carry their stuff, he says, don't go one, go two. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So what are we to understand? Is Jesus saying, be a doormat? Of course not. He's not saying that at all. Is he dismissing the command? That's important to understand. He's not. He's not dismissing it. He's pointing out that there's a problem with how you interpret it. There's a big problem because well, when you live under a system of rules, and maybe you grew up in a system of rules, and there's a lot of them, you begin to find ways to get around the rules. And you, and you, 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 you don't like it when that person holds you to the letter of the law, as they say. Like, this is the rule, you have to obey the rule, and they don't see the big picture at all. We used to have a, a, a guy uh, here... Um, uh, a long time ago, he's not here anymore, but I will tell you, I swear on my life, I swear on the Bible, <laughs> he came to business meetings so that he could make sure we followed Robert's rules of order and we didn't break any of the bylaws. Mind you, the bylaws were written by men, not God, okay? 
But he did this all the time, and it was really annoying, not just to you know, me, but to everyone, because it was all about the letter of the law. And there were times I wanted to give him the right hand of fellowship. And you know, I'm not talking about the right hand of fellowship like they are in the Bible. But I didn't because, you know, I have to, I'm the pastor, I can't do that, right? You can't punch people, I mean, that's not nice, but, but I'm pretty sure God would have hammered him. I'm pretty sure Jesus would have hammered him because the purpose of the law is holiness. The purpose of the law is holiness. Jesus taught this principle. If someone wrongs you, he's saying to them, don't give them eye for an eye because the law says you can give them eye for an eye tooth for a tooth, he's saying, find out why they wronged you. Find out what's going on in their life, what's wrong with them, and help them. That's exactly what Jesus is saying in this passage, and that's how he applied it. Find out the issue, and then be a blessing to them. Love them. Love them. Love is what sums up all the commandments, doesn't it? And that's what Jesus was teaching here. So the purpose of the law is holiness, and you can't be holy when you got blood on your hands. Hard to be holy that way. Well, someone does evil to you. We have this feeling of wanting to get back at them. Our culture tells us to do that all the time. We're told to avenge ourselves. But Paul wrote in Romans 12, Repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave the wrath of God to God. It's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And maybe you just came to church today and you needed to hear that. You needed to hear that because you have been planning a little revenge. And God is telling you, don't do that. Don't do that. Love love. Learn to forgive. It's hard, I know. But Now, if someone says, what about the commandment, should I honor my mother and my father? That's in, in the Old Testament. Well, the answer is pretty easy now because Paul said, yeah. Jesus said, yeah. In fact, Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He says, honor your mother. He quotes it, and he says this, and I, and I was confused by that first. It took me a minute. This is the first commandment with a promise. Well, it's not the first commandment. The first commandment I already told you is have no other gods before me. But this is the first commandment with a promise. It's actually the fifth commandment. The first four commandments deal with God, and there's no blessing or promise attached. But this one, there's a promise attached. If you honor your father and your mother, then, verse 3, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. So Paul is saying, you definitely need to honor this command and obey this command because when you do, you will, it will go well with you. So honoring your parents is the holy thing to do. If my kids were here, I would look them straight in the eye and tell them. <laughs> honor your parents. So the law continues to show us today that we have to live holy lives. We are called to live holy lives. And when you read the Old Testament, you're going to read some commands and you're going to be like shocked. I can't, believe, I can't believe that that's the commandment. And some of you might not agree with and never agree with you know, this issue of this idea of capital punishment, but this was 
what God had established for them, for that nation at that time. And we can't go back in time and understand it. But that's what he established. And sometimes you may read and not understand why they couldn't eat pork or shellfish, because you really like shrimp and bacon. You might not get it why they couldn't wear a polyester. But there was a reason behind it, polytheism. So you have to understand the purpose of it. God was setting them apart from every other nation. God wanted their nation to be an example to all the other nations. And God wants his church today to be set apart from everyone else. Not that we're better. Don't go that route. We're not better. We're on this side of the table. We're we're where we're at because of grace alone. Not something we did. But we are to be the example. We are to let our light shine. And our light shines when we're holy. When we live holy lives. That's what God is telling us. That's what the Word is telling us. So when you go through the Old Testament and you look at these commandments and you realize, hey, I feel a little convicted. That's something that that I've been doing. Well, don't do that anymore, right? Like if you get convicted because you ate a pound of bacon at breakfast this morning, all right, maybe it's not because it's pork, but because it's going to do some damage to your heart, then stop doing that because your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Take care of your body. You need to listen when the Holy Spirit convicts you. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Make yourself holy. And if you ever get confused by like, maybe you get caught up in something in the Old Testament. This happens sometimes. I had a friend, a Christian friend that I used to work with. His wife got all caught up with living kosher and following all these commandments. And one time during Passover, it says that you're supposed to, in Judaism, you don't uh, have any yeast in your house, all leaven. You remove it completely from your house. Well, she was trying to do this, and they have kids, and, and then all of a sudden, halfway through the week, they found some package of something, cookies or something like that, and it had yeast in it, and she freaked out. And the whole family was upset, and the kids were crying, and he's like, he finally got his house in order. Like, this isn't right. This is not what this is intended for. This isn't why this commandment is here for us. There's a purpose behind it. And so if you get kind of confused about something, you want to talk about it, I'm always available to talk about it, and we can look at why it was intended and how we can apply it properly. But we have to be holy as he is holy. That's the important thing. How many of you like spring cleaning? Anybody like to do spring cleaning? A few of you, okay. Well, how many of you like it when it's all done? Yeah, sorry, all right, good, good, good. Well, It's nice because when we do spring cleaning, the house feels fresh, it smells nice, and you 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 can open up the windows, and unless you have allergies, then you keep them closed, keep the air on. But I want to encourage you to do some spiritual spring cleaning. Go through your stuff. Go through your life. Go through everything that you have. And if you see something that you realize this does not honor God, this is a little bit of a problem, this is towing the line here, throw it out. If you see a magazine or a game or something that's inappropriate, or maybe a a long time ago you went to some psychic party and there's some remnant of that remaining in your house, get rid of it. 
remove it, trash it. Anything that doesn't honor God, toss it in the garbage. Get it out of your life completely. Don't let that temptation, don't leave the door open for temptation. And honor God with your life. Be holy as he is holy. And if you would, if, if, if you do this, some spiritual spring cleaning, and you see that God does something in your life, will you email me that, text me that, subject line, spiritual spring cleaning? I'll smile ear to ear if I get an email that says that subject line. Because I want to know that you were, you were responding, you were applying this to your life, because we all need to be holy as God is holy. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. I thank you that you've called us to be holy as you are holy because we're image bearers. We were made in your image. And that means that we should reflect who you are. And we know who you are through your word. You show us over and over and over again. You're a holy God. You're an awesome God. You're a mighty God. But your holiness, your, your perfection. Is what we should strive for. As Jesus said, we should be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We should strive for that holiness to be as holy as we can. And we do it so that we can be an example to others, so that we can bring you glory. And Father, we know how we feel because when we are holy, it draws us closer to you. When we're not, we hide from you. And God, we want to be in your presence as much as we can. Amen? Thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand for our final song?